Hello and welcome to the Adrenaline Podcast, episode two. We're off the ground and running now. Uh, today is going to be the first day that we have a guest on the show from outside of the Adrenaline West Coast Stars world, and that will typically be what we do on this show. We'll, uh, we'll be talking to people in the lacrosse world and not in the lacrosse world, uh, coaches from other sports, coaches from lacrosse, elite athletes. Um, people who develop leaders and and um, and help build teams and really anybody from my extended network who uh, I think can contribute to this discussion about being the best you can be and specifically within the sports realm. So for the last couple weeks, uh, weekends at least, I've been on the road coaching with West Coast Stars, uh, and it's been fun. It's been a blast. Uh, team I've been coaching with, uh, the West Coast Stars 2020s, really good group of guys. Um, we're 10 and one so far this summer. Uh, did not make the, the playoffs due to uh, a goals allowed ranking system at the event that we were at this weekend, but had a really successful, fun weekend where we competed hard. And the weekend before we won Platinum Cup at, at our age division and Really good group of guys. It's been a lot of fun and, and coach with the stars a little bit uh, in the winter as well and, um, and with another group last summer. And, you know, as a 20-year as a college coach, this was my first time coaching uh, recruits and kids that are looking to be recruited and being on the other side of that equation. I'm so used to being on the college coach's side. And it's I wouldn't say it's eye-opening because I certainly knew, you know, I've spoken to a lot of recruits over the years so and their families and certainly knew what was going on in their heads. But, um, but really interesting for me to be on the other side of it and to be talking to um, college coaches about the kids who, who I'm trying to help uh, achieve their goals, whatever those goals may be. Um, one thing that has been happening a lot is that the the young men who are playing for us and their parents obviously have a lot of questions. And one of the common questions that comes up all the time is what are coaches looking for? What are they, what do they want when they're looking for guys to add to their team for people that they're going to offer positions to? There's not a really easy answer to that. I think there's some standard answers that you hear all the time. Um, they want obviously, great athletes who are great lacrosse players. We're talking specifically about lacrosse here. Uh, that's the first thing they're looking for. Um, they're going to notice that first, uh, but then they're going to start drilling down. Do they fit uh, the specific criteria that they're looking for, whether it's a specific skill set that they're looking for by position or, uh, or are they looking for guys who are going to round out a unit in a certain class, for example, a defensive unit that has um, maybe some bigger guys, maybe some little guys, maybe some transition guys who, who are really good between the lines and get up and down the field, and maybe some really physical, great footwork lockdown guys on, on close defense, or maybe an attack unit that has a, a righty and a lefty or, or a pure finisher or a pure ball carry X guy. 
Um, and then they may even drill it down further than that and have some specific things they're looking for. And I'll give you an example of that. As a college coach, you see a lot of the midfield position, for example, you see a lot of great midfielders who uh, can create offense, can beat their guy in the dodge, um, can get down the alley uh, on their dodges, and can pound the ball, can shoot well uh, on the run. Um, or, of course, if they can shoot well on the run, often they can shoot well in, uh, in set shots as well. So uh, you see a lot of those guys. Um, a lot of them tend to be bigger and stronger than the other guys they're playing against. Uh, and that's a great first step when you're looking for um, great midfielders who can, who can play it at the next level. If they can break down guys and create offense on their own against pretty elite guys, uh, then you know, that's a great first step. But, but carry that a step further because there are a lot of those guys. We started looking just as much for guys who could do that and then could make the next play. Uh, often, you know, too often guys who are, who are really good at that particular skill um, can't follow that up consistently to make the next play that's going to be required at a higher level. At the, at the college level, when you're dodging down the alley, usually a slide's going to come. Uh, and that slide's, if you're really good at what you do, that slide's probably coming pretty much every time and it's probably coming pretty quickly. They're probably, they're, they're, uh, chances are they're aware that, that you're pretty good at, at, at getting down the alley and scoring on, on shots on the run. So they're going to be working hard to take away your strength, uh, and they're going to be working hard to make sure that help is coming if you are able to get to your strength or get to space where you're dangerous. So maybe at high school or, or club level where you're, you're getting down the alley and you're getting these shots off pretty consistently and you're scoring two, three, four goals every game, at the college level, those opportunities are going to be much harder to come by. So you better be pretty good at getting the ball quickly and accurately out of your stick. You, you've broken down the defense. You've forced a slide. They have to go because they know that you're good at getting the ball off accurately uh, as you're dodging on the move. So the slide's coming. Because the slide's coming, you're not going to be able to get an effective shot off. So you got to be able to move it effectively, whether that's if it's an alley dodge, whether that's forward to X or, or it's a pull pass back uh, to somebody following you or popping off the crease or it's a through pass somebody who's faded to the backside, you better be able to do that really well, snap it off really quickly, make the right decision, and be accurate. Get the ball into, uh, into your teammate's stick so that they can then do something with the ball really quickly as the defense is recovering. That's that next step skill set that we were looking for. It wasn't enough just to be a great Dodger who could score. We needed guys who could generate offense once the defense got moving who could who could allow our offense to work once the defense got moving could be really consistent if they're gonna throw the ball away two or three times a game in those situations where they have to make a quick decision with a slide coming they're not going to be good enough to to get it done at a higher level if they can make that play consistently get it to a teammate quickly and accurately then they are so that's an added criteria that became very important to us and uh, was something if we saw inconsistency there was something that would put up some question marks pretty quickly about whether that was the right person for us. Um, I, I urge you if you're a high school student and you're looking to be recruited to try and flip it around and, and look at this from a coach's perspective. If you were a coach, what kind of players, what kind of people would you want on your team? And you know, when you do that, you're going to have an easier time figuring out what you need to do.
you know, what are those coaches writing on the sideline? Well, there, there are variables here, again, based on what their philosophies are and, and what their team needs. But there are also consistencies amongst many of the coaches in, in the kind of notes they're taking and the things that they're looking at. Um, typically, what they're writing down are positive and negative notes. Some guys keep track of every single goal and assist scored, and that can be important. Um, but uh, regardless of that, they're, they might be writing a note about somebody that just says fast, you know, meaning somebody's very fast. They might write slow, meaning they're not very fast. I, I tended to, when I wrote my notes, I tended to write the same words for everything, um, fast or slow. I'd write fast, but if I put it in parentheses, that meant that turned it into a negative. So if I wrote fast in parentheses for me in my notes, that meant slow. And uh, if I wrote, you know, great step down shot, then uh, that meant great step down shot. If I wrote step down shot with parentheses, meant not so good at it. And that was an easier, more efficient way as you're trying to look up and down and see everything and take quick notes. That was an efficient way for me uh, to take notes as I was watching games. Um, but you're also looking for little things that, that you can make a note on. And what you want to do as a player is you want to be the kind of player that coaches are making a lot of positive notes on. Uh, you know, you're the kind of guy, you're an attackman who obviously you're making plays as an attackman. You've got to, you're creating offense, you're scoring, you're, you're creating assists, you're, um, you're making great passes to guys, even if they're dropping the ball and, and, and not finishing a play, you're, you're, you're creating plays, good plays, good offense. You need to be that. But, uh, are you riding hard and with good technique, not going over somebody's head, but you know, getting in front of them, getting the edge, turning them back, keeping your stick in front of them. Are you making those kinds of plays? Because those are the kind of plays that make you stand out. Are you running guys down every single time from behind? Are you exploding? You know, your guy throws the ball upfield. Are you turning around and exploding in your first few steps to get up the field and chase the ball down just in case you might get there in time? Uh, are you that kind of player? Are you diving for shots going out of bounds and, and, you know, this applies to any player, but are you that kind of player who's diving anytime they're close, who's giving those kind of effort plays? Those are ways for you. That's not necessarily going to get you recruited alone, but those are ways for you to add more um, positive views, even in a game where maybe you don't score four goals and, and maybe you don't have a great shooting day, but you're doing all these other things and you do them consistently. And those are the kind of things that, you know, somebody might come to see you and not get to see you touch the ball much or get a shot off much, and they only get to see you for a half or two halves at that event. But every time they see you, you're doing all those other things. That becomes consistent in their notes. Every single time they have a hustle note or, or an effort note or a toughness note every single time, uh, that's going to stand out and it's going to make them start thinking, you know, maybe I got to see them more or it's going to make them uh, a, a little bit quicker to ignore maybe a couple of the sessions that, that you didn't get some of the other things done because you're that kind of player every time. Um, those are the kind of guys that the coaches want. Are you vocal? Are you a leader? Uh, are you positive with your teammates? Are you, um, how do you respond to adversity when officials are making bad calls or when things aren't going your way? Those are also things that, you know, you'll see when, when you, when your palms up and, and complaining about something, if you take a look over at the sideline, all the coaches sitting there, when you do that, I'll bet you see a lot of guys heads down making a note. And I would also bet those probably aren't a lot of positive notes. And that's something to think about.
And it's, those are habits to get into so that you're always generating positive reviews from those coaches on the sideline. Uh, and I think it's really important to, uh, to remember that they might have very specific criteria. You might be an unbelievable lacrosse player, but that your dream school already has the righty attackman that they were looking for committed in that class. And so uh, it isn't going to be a fit for you. You might be an amazing defenseman, but the way you play and the, the style of things you do doesn't quite fit with what, you know, how they play. Um, and so many times that coach knows, you know, I, I need to pass on this kid because he, he doesn't fit exactly what we need or already, we already have that particular position covered. Uh, and I know that this person is going to be a really good division one player, someone else, somewhere else or college player, whatever level they're at somewhere else. And I'm not going to enjoy playing against him, but, uh, you know, we've already got that filled. So, you know, just because you're really good at something, it doesn't mean that the timing is right or that you're particularly the right fit for, for someone's system or, or exactly what they're looking for. Uh, so recruiting advice which we'll get a lot deeper on as these episodes go along. Put yourself in the coach's shoes. Give yourself opportunities to generate positive notes and minimize negative notes every single time you play, every single time you're out there. You never know who's watching. College coaches might not be lining the sideline, but people who speak to those coaches may be, uh, and they may be getting feedback on, on you, even though no coach was there. Make those things habits that are going to generate positive notes and minimize the negative notes. Uh, today's episode, we have uh, a great guest, Dave Metzbauer, who I've known for a long time. Um, one of the most successful college lacrosse coaches in recent memory. He's done it all as an assistant coach, but uh, has, had, has won seven national championships between two programs and has, um, has generated uh, really, really successful offenses and offensive players every stop he's been at. Um, so Metsy's going to be on the show with us sharing some insight and in his coaching career and the things he's learned. And, uh, and then after we talk to Metsy, I'm going to have an update, hopefully from John Ozisi uh, from West Coast Stars to, to talk a little bit about how things have been going there and, uh, and where, where the rest of the summer is, is taking adrenaline in West Coast Stars. Uh, and then I'll have a few closing thoughts before we go. So We'll be right back with Dave Metzbauer. 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 All right, we're back with Dave Metzbauer, uh, who is, if I did my math right, which is not necessarily a strong suit, has been coaching Division one lacrosse off and on for about 30 years or pretty close to that. Is that yeah. about right? Yeah, that is about right. Which, uh, I can do, I can do more math and figure out your age from that. It's, <laughs> uh, it's actually right around my age. Uh, but I was, this is our first guest on the podcast. Who's not a West coast stars guy. So one, congratulations. That's a milestone. But two, the reason I asked you yesterday when I, when I, we were chatting, uh, out in Delaware was I'm leaving for Japan tomorrow. And I think the first time we really met and spent any time together was in Japan when you were coaching with Princeton and your team was over there. And I've been coaching in Japan for 20 years and I was over working with the University of Tokyo. 
Uh, you remember what year that was when you guys went over? Um, see, I think it was either two, uh, 2004. Yeah. We, we had just lost in the semifinals of the NCAAs to Navy. Um, and we literally got home Saturday night and on Tuesday morning boarded a, a yeah. bus on the flight to Japan for, you know, 12 days. So yeah, it was 2004. What memories do you have from that trip? Um, sun comes up really early. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was coming up, I would get up and work out and I would see guys coming home. So yeah, so those, uh, I don't know if those are good memories, but yeah, the guys were having fun. They were enjoying themselves. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool, you know, going over to a foreign country and, and seeing all the different sites and, and everything, um, playing, playing games, you know, getting to play a couple more games with guys, uh, Thankfully, they were um, easier than playing Navy and Syracuse and Hopkins, uh, but they were uh, they were they were good games. Yeah, I thought I thought against the Japanese national team was pretty cool. Yeah, so, that's a neat event. I've seen that event a few times, and it, it is a they get a big crowd and they have all their ceremonies around the game. Seems like you got to do ceremonies for like an hour before you ever play anything. Yeah, and that was – and the one thing I do remember is that in the in between the games, so I guess you guys played early. Yeah. And the women played. The women's national team played maybe a West Coast women's team like yours. Yeah. Similar. And then they had to take – it was pouring down rain. And That's they had right. to take all the lines off. They couldn't just blow them off. So they had people out there literally dabbing up the chalk that they put down for the women's game to re-chalk it for us. And we're kind of just sitting there like, who care? We didn't care about it, but they did. And right. that's pretty neat because they cared about every single little thing that went on. Um, I don't remember. I don't know if you remember, too, when we played, you know, I was coaching with the University of Tokyo and we scrimmaged that Princeton yeah. team. And the, those scrimmages are always so funny to me because we were on one of those Japanese AstroTurf fields that has sand on it, too. Do you remember? And so you wear flats and you got all the big, you know, strong division one Princeton guys. And we got all these little Japanese guys and to change directions on that stuff, you pretty much have to slide like you're playing clay court tennis. They all look like Nadal when they're, when they're changing direction. And the, you know, the big Princeton guys are like trying to change direction quickly. And the Japanese guys are used to this, you know, sliding style of, of changing directions, just funny surface and such a funny image. See all these little guys, running around with all these big guys yeah that game. I, I tell you what i thought the one thing that the, the japanese guys had plenty of speed no matter what age group we played those guys seemed that were seemed to be faster than most of us uh you know in the in the i guess the short haul like you're saying you know quick 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 change of direction you know quick movement doing things like that but uh you know yeah that game when we played you guys was on that that sand turf and then one game we played somebody, it was literally a dirt field. Yeah. When I first started going over, all the fields pretty much were either that sand turf or dirt. I remember we'd go play sometimes at places that was beautiful grass all around. And then the field, it was like cut out dirt. <laughs> it's like, why aren't we just playing on this beautiful grass? It's right next to the, right next to the field. They're like, no, this is the field. We're playing on the dirt. <laughs> Yeah. Now they all have field turf. Like University of Tokyo has three field turf fields and 
you know, it's everything's upgraded now, but back then, yeah. And, and try that dirt when it had rained for a week there, they get rainy season there and they yeah. still play on it all the time becomes like the pitted mud, you know, the balls are bouncing every which way. Cause you get all these divots pretty fun. Um, how long are you going over there for another uh, i leave tomorrow i'll be there two weeks and then i'll go at least once maybe twice more this year as well obviously i have time now to spend more time with them so i think this is like my 16th or 17th trip over and uh embarrassingly i speak almost no japanese but love the food that's, can't wait to go that's good for you because that was the one thing that you know probably what didn't do well for me was the food Thankfully, we stayed at a hotel that had some American food, so I could I could, I could find that. Yeah, I know you're you're a meat and potatoes guy. We, uh, I was over there once with the USA West team for three weeks, and Ken Brochard, my longtime assistant coach, that he wasn't coaching with me then, but my longtime assistant is now at at High Point, was over coaching on our staff, and Kenny doesn't eat rice. He hates rice. I don't know how you can hate rice, but he hates it. Japan's not where you want to be. If yeah. you don't like rice, there's a lot of rice. Yeah, no, I, I mean, thankfully I like rice. It was the, the fishy <laughs> stuff that was, the, yeah. Uh, was, yeah. was kind of crazy. Yeah, there's plenty of it. So um, just looking at your career a little bit, I mean, Loyola High School, you play at Delaware, you jump right into coaching out of Delaware in the, in the late 80s, and then you land at Princeton for this pretty incredible run. How did you land at Princeton with Coach T in 90? Uh, you know, things happen for, I guess, for reasons. reason. So the, the funny part is like out of Delaware, I was supposed to have a fifth year. And, um, when I, cause I transferred in there from the Naval Academy and they were, they told me everything was good. And then all of a sudden it got taken away in August. So coach allowed me to say, Hey, look, I got a spot for you to coach. I'd love to have you coach. And he was great. So I, I coached there for three years. And then he told me, he's like, I can't pay you any more money. You're wasting time here. You need to, go someplace and make money. So he, I was like, all right, I appreciate everything. So I was literally going to go find a job, you know, work construction, do whatever, you know, kind of work, move on to the next phase. And luckily I was at a camp and, uh, you know, coach, uh, coach Tierney, you know, called me and asked me if, you know, I'd like to interview for his spot and they had an opening and I went and interviewed and, uh, you know, figured I'd do it for a year, maybe two. And, just to keep going because I wasn't ready to make a decision on what I want to do for work. But uh, one year turned into 20 and uh, that's kind of how that, that kind of rolled out. I mean, everybody, you know, everybody as they, as they are starting a job or, or getting into coaching or whatever the situation is, has these dreams and visions for what it's going to be. Did you have any inkling at that time about the, what you were latching onto and the success you guys were going to have at Princeton? No, I mean, you know, kind of meeting coach T for the first time and then going there and seeing the kids and, you know, uh, about a month into the, into the fall when I finally got, we were in fall ball and stuff like that. The kids were, the Princeton guys were very self-driven, you know, so they were easy to motivate and they, they wanted to be great and it made it really easy. And it was just, it was, I think at that time, you know, you don't really have an idea, but kids were going to good schools you know, like Princeton and the Ivy Leagues and the NESCACs to get a, get a job after college more so than worry about professional lacrosse now, you know. So uh, it made it, you know, guys wanted to be at Princeton. And, and once we started sort of turning, turning the winning part around and getting to the playoffs, 
guys really wanted to come. So it made it a lot easier to recruit guys to, to get them to come to Princeton, you know, but, um, you know, like talking with coach Brash after we won two years ago, you know, winning is addictive, uh, as you know, and when you win the, the national championship, you, you want to go back for different reasons and win it again and keep winning again. So it kind of drives you. It's, uh, I always, when people ask me, I say, it's like playing golf, you know, you have a bad round, you want to get right back to it to correct it. And when you have a good round, you want to savor it and then try to do it all over again, you know? So, um, every year at the end of the year, it's like, it's either a bad or it's good, you know, and you, you want to get back to it sometimes sooner than others. Like we had a bad year this year at Carolina, you know, I can't wait for the guys to get back to school and, and start jumping on this thing, you know, whereas two years ago, I was like, you know what, I'm going to savor the whole summer and, and enjoy it, you know, and, you know, get myself ready because I know we got some good guys coming back type thing. So two things to follow up to what you just said. One, uh, was there anything in, in common between the champ, the six championship years that you experienced in, at Princeton and the championship year you had at Carolina? Was there like an X factor that, that you think was a major contributor to winning it all? I mean, I think you had there a couple things that we've always felt. I, like, I should say Coach Tierney and I have felt because of we've been through the championships together for so many times is that you need your seniors to step up in the second half of the year. Uh, is a major is a major thing in that and um, so they have to step up and then someone else other than you know that doesn't play has to step up and and be like be that kind of uh, not an x factor but be a guy that gives you something in the playoffs and I think all those years you know except for maybe 97 when we were I thought we were really a dominant team you know from start to finish uh, did we, you know, you have to have guys step up in the playoffs. And we had guys at different years, you know, Pontrello step, stepped his game up, obviously Cloutier in the final four, you know, but we had a bunch of different guys step up their games going down the stretch in, in 2016. And, you know, in those years we won it, you know, 2001, uh, as good as Boyle was, you know, Matt Striebel and, and those guys, but they stepped up their games and we had a couple guys that, you know, I could name guys that, like, you'd be like, who's that? And I'm like, well, he was on the first midfield, and he scored six or seven goals that he didn't score during the regular year, you know. Right. Um, those guys stepped up and played well. And, and at Princeton, a lot of times we had a face-off guy that would step up and actually win us some face-offs because we didn't have very many uh, very good face-off guys at Princeton throughout the years. So was there anything that, that led you to, to kind of anticipate that, that you had the kind of guys that were going to step up at the end of the year? Or are you just waiting for that to happen and hoping it does? Well, you kind of wait for it. You hope that it does, and you, you kind of wait for it to happen. And sometimes you um, – I guess the best the, – the biggest thing is there is you're trying to figure out, like, who do you have to push? You know, what buttons do you have to push right. on certain guys to – you know, get them to step up. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, as an offensive guy, we, we talk about, hey, you know, halfway through the season, we are what we are. And you have to take ownership of the offense to be better at it. And some guys, you know, some teams do and some teams don't, you know. Okay. Um, two years ago when we lost to Albany in 2017, 
we had guys stepping up at the end of the year. Unfortunately, we just ran into a face-off guy and Albany, an Albany team that literally shot the lights out of the ball. Um, and we just we couldn't come back from that. We were down too much. But we had, a, we had a good run and almost came back and won that game. And I think if we would have won that game, we could have taken our way through possibly to the Final Four. Yep. It, it's, uh, it's amazing what small thing can hinge you know, success and not success, especially once you get to the end of the season yeah. and everybody's pretty even, right? And it's, it's one or two things that can make all the difference in the world. Um, yeah. So how about, you know, a season, a season like you just had, you were seven and seven, I think, and, you know, certainly not a typical North Carolina season. What it, it I totally relate to it, making you hungry and, and, you know, excited to come back and, do you want to – are you ever tempted to, to kind of look deep and change things when you have a season like that? Or at this point in your career, you're pretty confident in what you're doing and, and you know, just know I'm going to keep plugging away at what I'm doing. It's worked before. It's going to work again. I, I think you have some core basic tenets that you want to stay with, you know, but I'm always looking to experiment. I'm always looking to see what's, what's new, what's better, what can make us better. You know, I'm not one of those guys that says, you know, we are who we are. We're going to do this. And, you know, uh, I guess you look back to, you know, the, the Green Bay Packers, you know, we, the Packers sweep. That's all they ran. And they said, you know, people are going to have to stop us. This is just who we are and this is what we're going to do. I don't think that way. I like to have a multitude of options and try to figure out, you know, the guys that I have, you know, what's going to be best for them, you know. And that's why when, that's when, I, when I say you got to own, your, own the offense – you know, those guys have to figure out, like, as we're going through, it's got to be a little bit of me, a little bit of them telling me, hey, coach, we really feel comfortable in this type of offense. Let's, you know, let's continue with this. And I think we can, we can grow from it, you know. Um, I assume so I as much of that comes on the field with, and experimenting with what's going to work with the guys that, that you have as it is off the field and figuring out what's going to motivate a particular group and, you know, how you're going to develop a particular set of leaders, for example. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we spend a lot of time, I know Coach Presley has the last couple of years has spent a lot of time on, on leadership, you know, which I know a lot of schools do, but, you know, uh, I think everybody in, in the schools that have it, you know, are trying to offer their kids, you know, whether it's uh, motivation or sports leadership, how to develop that leadership, how to develop kids to, you know, be accountable for their own actions and, and, and help them prepare for future stuff in life. And, and that's just the way it is. And, and by owning your offense, whether it's on the field, as you said, or off the field, coming in, doing extra film work, doing extra study, you know, things like that. Those are things that are going to separate um, some guy, you know, some team from another team down the stretch. Right. We were talking a little bit yesterday about the new facilities that you guys are doing at North Carolina, which you got to be pretty excited about. How do you think those are going to help you in, in your mission to do all this? Um, I mean, they'll be great. Uh, obviously, it's be, it'll be an awesome recruiting, you know, tool uh, to have, you know, an indoor facility in case it, you know, we haven't, I don't think we've ever missed a practice except for maybe twice in my four years there where we've had ice and snow. Uh, down there, which which will limit us early. I mean, way early in the season, which probably a day off was good for us. Um, but you know, now we'll be able to go inside. 
you know, on those days, uh, if the kids can get into, you know, get to school, but I just think it's going to be a great addition. This past year was a little bit of a, a struggle for us. I think in the fact that we were practicing at fields that we weren't used to, and they were going down the bottom of the hill, you know, whether it's 10 minutes, um, or five minute, you know, drive, ride by a cars to get down to the field, the practice fields, which some teams do every day, you know, we weren't used to it. And I think it threw us off, may possibly threw us off a little bit, you know, um, as coaches and, and maybe players, you know, their, their heads are like, Hey, I got to get here. I got to get there, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah. It's amazing how, when, when you add all that kind of stuff up, you know, division one athlete is so busy and, and their time is so precious. And when you can't be efficient in how you structure their time, just getting to and from places and how consistent practice times are, whatever that stuff is, over the course of time, it can have a pretty big effect on, on their mental attitude and, and, and how they're approaching every day. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Flip side of that, I mean, it's, it's funny because there's now you're starting. We're, we're a more practice team in Carolina. You know, yeah, I know you are. Yeah, I know you are. What do you think, uh, yeah, getting onto that, what do you think are the – uh, advantages of a morning practice and, and do you think there are any disadvantages to it well I mean it just I think it depends on how early in the morning it is is the disadvantage like if you're going at 6 a.m 5 30 whatever however early that that's pretty early for a college student you know so I think that's a little bit of a disadvantage you know we would never be able to do that at Princeton I we know our kids when I was at Princeton we knew our kids were staying up to study at two o'clock and so you can't have a 5 30 practice right maybe once in a while blue moon here or there but you know you couldn't do it on a uh we start at carolina around you know eight o'clock on the field maybe seven thirty in the film room on certain days so it's not too bad the good parts of that is that we get them fresh they get up they come to practice they're fresh and then as soon as that practice the rest of their time is spent on academics. And so they have the rest of the day to worry about academics. Um, the, the, the bad part, you know, uh, I know when I played at Delaware, we would go to school in the morning and, you know, you get tired, you eat lunch, you get, have to go to class and then you go to practice. By the time you got to practice, you're tired, you know, yeah. mentally, you know, our guys are mentally fresh, uh, for the most part, they get through practice and then they can go to school and, and not have to worry about. So I do like the, the early morning practices. Uh, I think it, it also allows us to block up our time for us at Carolina. It, it allows us to get the fields we want. Otherwise we'd be fighting football for the field. So they go in the afternoon, we go in the morning. Yeah. It's uh that's, that's one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize. They look at a lot of the schools, like the ACC and, and Big Ten schools that have all these facilities and all this stuff going on, even at schools like mine at Michigan when I was here and, and, and yours at Carolina, there's a battle for facilities all yeah. the time. And that's a, that's a huge part of sports administration is figuring out who can go when. So it's, uh, I know, you know, here at Michigan, having, having their own facility now is going to make an enormous difference in, in just the fact that they can practice basically when they want to, instead of having to slot in around everybody else every day. Yeah. I guess the only thing they have to worry about is when the women want to practice and, you know, yep. they don't have to stay off of that. That when I coached at Loyola, that was the big thing is we had to just worry about the women's practice. And, you know, we, uh, we had to worry about soccer at times every once in a while, you know? Right. So. Right. So 
I, I talk a lot with recruits, parents, especially now that I'm on the other side of this a little bit. And they're, you know, they're always asking what coaches are looking for. And, uh, and I was discussing a little bit earlier in this and with some of the parents as well, just on, you know, telling them what, what notes coaches are taking in their books. You know, they have no idea what, what we're looking for. They, they have some idea, but they're often wrong about what, what it is we're, we're actually looking for. And I think, you know, anytime we've given all these recruiting talks in front of parents and kids, and you often hear the same things that we're looking for kids with great skill sets, who are great people, who are tough and who work really hard. But the reality is, as coaches, we break that down even tighter. And there might be, you know, very specific skill sets that you're looking for uh, by position. There might be specific skill sets for a certain player in that position because you want to fill a certain role um, that maybe they wouldn't be aware of. Uh, is, is, do you have any, as an offensive coach for an attackman or a midfielder, do you have any specific skill sets that maybe a parent wouldn't think of that you're evaluating every time you look at those kids that are really important to you? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think they're, to me, I think they're pretty basic, you know, uh, but like you said, I break things down a little bit differently possibly than other guys. Like I, I want to look for, I look for a right-handed attackman. I look for a left-handed attackman. I look for an X attackman. You know, I don't care what hand the X is X guy is, but, I, I gotta find those three guys. I don't want to just find, hey, the three best attackmen in this class. They could all be left-handed. I can't have all of them. Yep. You know, uh, I don't think that works well for your offense. I don't think it, it helps out. So you try to find the right guys, and you know, the lefty got the, obviously the lefty and the righty attackmen both have to have good shots, and they have to have some range on the shot. You know, they got to be able to handle the ball. You know, uh, more of a more of a dodger from the wing possibly than anything else. The guy at X has got to be – he's got to be the feeder. He's got to be the quarterback. He's got to be able to change direction. He's got to have great stick skills on both hands to be able to drive up so that we can't just be lopsided to one side or not. You know, so I think, you know, those are the things that separate, you know, like I look at individually and say, hey, this kid's a righty, this kid's a lefty, this kid's an X guy. Um, Midi-wise, I don't care what hand they are, uh, to be honest with you. I look for guys that um, can shoot it can dodge on the run and shoot it. Uh, the big thing for me is watching guys play off ball. Now I've really honed in on the off ball guys to see if, if some guy wants to just stand out there and say, hey, just get me the ball because I'm used to getting it in space and dodge and shoot. Uh, I want to see guys be able to know how to cut because if they know how to cut now, it's one less thing. Some guys, you can't, it's hard to teach guys to how to cut. Um, it, you know, you can run a play to make them cut, but they won't be able to cut on their own. So if guys know how to see, cut, pick, seal, um, on their own, that shows a lot of initiative. That means they possibly played basketball or ice hockey or even soccer, right. uh, to get that, you know, kind of mentality. So, uh, I kind of look at that a lot, you know, and seeing how kids react off ball sometimes more so than on ball, right. you know? Um, you know, yeah. I was at a tournament the other day and some kid was playing pretty well. And, and, uh, every time he threw the ball, he had, I think he had one point for the scrimmage I saw, but he had like five drop passes on the crease, you know? Okay. Hopefully a guy like that and you bring in another guy that can actually catch the ball, then he's going to be a lot better off, you know? So you gotta, you gotta figure out who they're playing against, you know? 
Um, so those are, those are things I look, but skill, I look at skill more so than anything else. IQ, uh, bigger, faster, stronger, obviously comes into play. Um, down stretch, uh, if it, things even the bigger, faster, stronger guy usually wins. Yep. So, yep. Usually, but you know, ultimately as much as, we want to emphasize all the other things, you know, it's, it's, you're going to notice how good of a lacrosse player they are first, right? I mean, it's the first thing you're going to see. And it's yeah. always equated to, you know, the prettiest girl in the room is going to get asked to dance. And that's, that's basically what you want to be as a lacrosse player. Just be the one that stands out as the best player. And, uh, and then you'll take it from there and see if yeah. they're a good fit in every other way. Um, yeah, a couple more. So what, uh, you know, all this time now, 30 years in, in college coaching and a few years off in, in high school coaching in, in Philadelphia, Haverford and, and Malvern. And in all those years, only times you were a head coach were at Malvern for a couple yeah. of years. Why? Why, why assistant coach for, for as long as you've been? Because you certainly you, you could certainly have some opportunities. Uh, a lot has to do with my family. You know, uh, things, you know, obviously being at Princeton, my wife had a great job. Uh, her family was from Philadelphia. Uh, things worked out. It was, it was easy enough to, you know, travel back and forth, uh, you know, for the most part, um, you know, it just, uh, seemed like the right fit. I didn't want to just jump at being a head coach. I didn't want to move, you know, move my family for the sake of just moving to be a head coach, uh, we were, we were happy where we were living, uh, happy with her job situation, you know, so it just kind of made it that way. And, you know, um, you know, when I got, obviously when I went to high school, became a head coach, uh, it was, it was fine. I f figured out that I can be a head coach. Uh, one of the things is there's, the, there's a huge difference. I think, as you know, being a head coach and assistant coach is you get to actually coach more when you're an assistant. hundred percent. Yeah. You know? So, I love coaching the kids. I, I love getting out on the road, recruiting kids and being out on the road and meeting families and stuff. So, you know, sometimes head coaches, you can't do that as much. Uh, so I'm fine. I don't need the ego boost that some guys do to, to be a head coach or to become a head coach as soon as possible. So it just hasn't really bothered me. You know, uh, that's kind of why I've always been an assistant, you know, uh, you know, I, I like, you know, we've, I've only moved my family once in my 30 years of being a, uh, any type of coach. So when we made, we made that move from Philly to Carolina. And, and so until, until my son graduates from high school, I'm probably not going to move from there at least until after that, you know, then we won't have to worry about where, where my kids are. Yeah. Same. I've never moved, but thank God you and I are coaching football because we would have yeah. moved 15 yeah. times by now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some of these guys have gone, you know, they they switch towns every year for five yeah. years. Now. I don't know how they do it, but I don't know how they do it either. But so, more money. as a as a longtime assistant, what do you think makes a great assistant coach? Like, uh, I mean, I think the, I don't know. I'm trying to trying to figure out the best thing. I mean, you got to do your job. Obviously, you got to uh, your your head coach has got to trust you. I think that's the other part, you know, and, and you gotta, you gotta be able to, 
I, I think as I became a better assistant coach with even, even all my coaches, you know, with coach Toomey, uh, especially with coach Tierney and now coach Brushy, uh, you know, I think the more I can predict what they want from me and what they want from, you know, to get out. So it makes their job easier, the better off, uh, you are as an assistant coach and the more information you can have in the top of your head or at your fingertips so that they, when they ask you for it, uh, probably makes you a better coach, you know, uh, building the other thing that's becoming really important nowadays is having great relationships with the kids, you know, because yep. as a head coach, you always, you know, you're, you're the head guy, you're making all the decisions. You've got to recruit, you know, you're the final say on all the recruits and all that kind of stuff. But when they get there, you know, either an offensive or defensive guy, maybe a soft guy, but you're, you're probably one of the assistants more so than anybody else. Sure. You know, at some of the bigger schools, you know, the head coach overseeing it. So, you know, you have to have great relationships with the guys and, uh, you know, make them feel great about themselves so that you can get them to play at the, their best level. Flip that around. What do you think from an assistant coach perspective? What do you need from a head coach? Uh, I mean, hopefully he trusts what you're doing, you know, and he, he, whatever he sees, he'll come over and say, Hey, I think you, you know, Hey, take a look at this. You know, you might be able to do something with this or, you know, I see something in their defensively, like on my end, you know, uh, Coach Tierney and uh, Coach Brushy especially would come over and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing them do defensively. Do you have something in your arsenal to, you know, take advantage of this? You know, uh, but, you know, for from a head coach, I think he's got to trust you and what you're doing, let you do your thing as much as possible, knowing that he's the he's the guy that, you know, if you screw up, he's going to take the heat for you. But he's got he's to hopefully trust you enough that, you know, you don't, he's not taking any. Right. But uh, uh, I think you just have to have a communication, two-way communication about kids, about players, whatever. Last couple, Metsy, just really, really kind of easy ones. Uh, passion away from lacrosse. If you were doing something other than coaching and you could pick anything, what would it be? Uh, you put a lot of thought into this, huh? Passion away from coaching. See, that's one problem is that I really don't have much other than spending time with my family, uh, away from coaching. So my, you know, uh, coaching is it, uh, my family's it. I mean, if I had something to do, I would probably, uh, you know, if I could sit on the beach and read books and, you know, uh, enjoy the ocean. That would probably be my one thing other than, uh, you know, coaching. So be it uh, like a super rich man of leisure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, who wouldn't, right. <laughs> that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be too bad. Uh, favorite, you got a favorite food spot on the road. You got a spot you always got to check into. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, when I go to Baltimore, I go to the, the uh, corner stable. Yeah. I have, the best ribs and crab cakes in Baltimore as a combination. I've heard of it. I've never been there and I yeah. love ribs. I mean, the, the ribs fall off the bone. I yeah. mean, you, you have to try it. It's just one of those places. Uh, I grew up in Baltimore. I went to it 
early on a couple times. And when I went away from it, I would come back and I would take some guys, uh, some other coaches with me and, and they'd be like, Holy cow, these are really good. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. So now at least once or twice a summer, I try to hit, hit there up when I go back to Baltimore for recruiting. I'm going to, I'm going to hit it up next time I'm there. My, I'm so, uh, I'm so happy because my six year old daughter, you know, finicky young kids can be eating. And for whatever reason, my six year old daughter loves ribs. And the day, the day she tried them and was like, Oh, these are the best things ever. As, as a dad, I was like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) this is really good news. (laughs) All right. So, uh, my next podcast I'm going to do from Japan with some of the Japanese guys. If you could ask a question of, Japanese lacrosse guys, what would it be? If I could ask a question of Japanese lacrosse guys, uh, that one uh, might have to text you back on that one. I'm, right. I'm not, I'm not, ex- not exactly sure on, on that one too too much. I mean, uh, I thought that just going back to our initial part of the conversation about Japan, uh, coach Tierney and I spent one night with the Japanese national coaches and we, we had our interpreter, uh, there. And it was, it was very interesting trying to explain some of our ideas to them, uh, through the interpreter. So, uh, it was, you know, the, the language barrier is, is something that, you know, I guess has to be, you know, figured out to communicate a little bit better with uh, the Japanese teams. It's, it's, I've been really fortunate because the Tokyo teams always have at least one or two people who are really fluent in English, like, like natives pretty much. So I, I've always been able to communicate with them. And then I've been working with them for 20 years. So their program, their terminology is our terminology. It's my terminology. Yeah. It's what I've always coached. So even when they're rattling stuff off in Japanese, when they throw out a lacrosse term, it's a Michigan lacrosse term from the 20 years I was coaching here. Yeah. So I can always figure out lacrosse-wise what they're doing because it's, it's my terminology. Yeah. And it's pretty funny to hear a string of, you know, Japanese, 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 and then one of my terms. And then Japanese, Japanese, it'll just pop out in, in my head. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I heard that. <laughs> That's, I, I know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, bud. I appreciate you being on. Um, no Glad I could do it. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, this was fun. And uh, I'll eat a bunch of fish for you so you don't have to. Yeah. I'm over in Japan. When I went into the 7-Eleven over there with a couple of my players, I was like, oh, my Lord, this is – there's no – where's the nachos and cheese? And it was <laughs> put on a stick, and I was like, oh, I can't do this one. Yeah, well, I'll take care of that for you. Yeah, you no take problem. care of that, and uh, I'll eat some ribs for you when I go to Baltimore this weekend. Yeah, please. I'm going to be envious of that. All, All right, right, buddy. I will uh, I'll probably see you later in the summer. Take care. Yeah, I'll see you. Thanks. And we're back. Uh, When we did the first podcast a couple weeks ago, we introduced everybody to Jesse Foss who is uh, one of the main West Coast Stars guys with Adrenaline Lacrosse. He's kind of the behind the scenes guy, but, and that's why we wanted to introduce him and, and let everybody out there know who he is and what he does and what he's about. But as a college coach for 20 years and, and for the last 10, 12 years, when we were uh, really recruiting the West Coast, 
the guy we all knew and dealt with on uh, you know practically a weekly basis was John Ozisi, who is director of West Coast Stars and, uh, and is really the recruiting coordinator for the program, the guy every college coach goes to uh, to find out information and to, and to create uh, contacts with Western lacrosse players. So welcome, Jono. Thanks for having me, JP. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was, uh, this was your idea, and um, I'm, fired sure. up to be, I'm fired up to be part of this with you guys. And, and the podcast is going to be a lot of fun, I think, as we uh, – and, and that was a really good idea, I think, as we bring – you know, some really interesting people in, not just lacrosse coaches, you know, like Metsy today, but also thinking outside the box and getting some other people in that um, could really help uh, any athlete or parent uh, or coach even as they are trying to figure out ways to be better at what they do and to, and to reach their goals. I think we have a pretty good opportunity here. Um, yeah, I would wanted been. to talk to you a little bit about your path, uh, you know, East Coast guy, New England guy, um, big Tom Brady Patriots guy, which I like. Uh, coming from where you came from, how'd you end up out in San Diego doing what you're doing now? Yep. The, the small, short story version is went to college a minute from home where I grew up. Uh, and after spending four you know, great years at Tufts University, it was really just time for me to make a change. And honest to goodness, just got in the car and said, where's the furthest place away I can go and, and maybe set up shop. And that was San Diego, which, you know, after a bunch of tough winters too, seemed pretty appealing. Uh, and when I got out there, there was, gosh, lacrosse became a varsity sport the year I got out there. And a couple of East Coast guys from Notre Dame were starting a company called Adrenaline, which at the time was two big summer camps and a giant youth league. Um, and I started working for them in the summer, right when I got there. And you know, to see where that started um, to where the machine that adrenaline is now 15 years later is pretty wild. I think we thought there was a lot of potential for growth um, in California, but I don't think anyone felt it would be like this um, back then. So a lot of it was timing. A lot of it was luck. And, and as you know, San Diego is a lovely place to live. And once you get there, it's hard to turn around and go anywhere else. Yeah, I'm 52 years in Michigan now. I haven't... Uh... I haven't caught the bug like you have yet, but um, I'm also many years tougher than you are because I'm still dealing with winters. Just so this is clear. true. I know. <laughs> okay. What? Uh, so you're coaching as well, um, other than West Coast Stars and Elite Club stuff. But you, you you've been coaching high school lacrosse for a while out there. How'd you get into it, and how's that path been? Yeah, I think, you know, like I said, I, I got out there in 2003 and lacrosse had just been recognized as a varsity sport. And, and because there weren't too many guys that knew much about the sport, you know, back then a 22 year old with zero experience could get hired as a head coach. Um, so I was fortunate that someone took a chance on me. You know, I think I learned a lot through trial and error uh, and just overall maturing. I mean, dealing with kids is, is something that you have to learn with experience more than anything. Um, and I went to graduate school at University of San Diego and got a master's in education. So that all tied into what I was doing. Loved working with kids. And, you know, it's either teach or coach full time in order to, to be a high school coach. Um, and I taught for eight years. And, you know, the adrenaline just grew and grew and grew. And the demand for time and travel became too much. Um, and so in 2011, I just dove in full time to West Coast Stars uh, and Adrenaline. But I've been the head coach at Torrey Pines since 2011. And, you know, it's really what I love to do the most is, you know, coach the kids um, hands on. 
I think it's a common theme among so many people, you know, like us that didn't go into their careers anticipating that lacrosse was going to be a full-time thing that you were going to, that you were going to make a life out of the sport. But uh, you know, such a testament to the sport that it provides these opportunities again to people. Yeah. I think I was fortunate. Yeah. I think it's, you do a few things, you try a few jobs and, and eventually you find out what you love doing and what you're good at. Um, and the old adage of, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I mean, it's really true because I could be on the field or run to practice, you know, until 10 at night and time flies. I could be there forever because you just love what you're doing. And so, you know, I found that in coaching and working with kids. And, you know, I'm just grateful to be where I am. Uh, talk about the Tory Pine program, Tory Pines program. And, and you guys obviously had some tremendous success there. Yeah, I think the Tory Pines program has, you know, been one of great tradition you know long before I got there um and you know in the eight years that I've been there the trajectory has gotten I think better and better this season we were San Diego champions uh number one team in the west and finished you know in some polls as high as 13th in the country which you know just says a lot to the growth of the game and you know to the work ethic of our kids it's you know there's no college across out west quite yet but you know, with the level of talent that I'm able to work with and the buy-in and, you know, the effort, it, it feels just like that. You know, we have, I think, six seniors going off to play at the Division One level and eight or ten more coming back that are committed to the Division One level. So it's, you know, it's iron sharpens iron. There's a lot of good players and a lot of kids that really care about the craft of getting better and working. And so this was a, a tremendous spring, um, you know, to be at Torrey Pines. You know, I know working with uh, quite a few of you guys are, are involved in West Coast Stars and working with them, um, you know, they've been great kids. They've been a lot of fun to work with, and they are passionate about the game. So uh, I think that's a reflection on you as well in, in continuing to foster that. Uh, California lacrosse, you know, you, you said sanctioned, which is awesome, but, um, but you also said you won a San Diego championship. Why is there no state championship in California? Yep, that's the million-dollar question. Um, you know, it's unfortunate because the buzz answer, short, short answer is not enough schools have varsity lacrosse for CIF to undertake a, a playoff. Uh, what's sort of happened in the last couple of years is everyone that was pretty good from all regions, San Francisco, Orange County, L.A., you know, have gotten together, and we make sure that we play each other in the regular season. So we will play San Ignatius and San Ramon every year. We'll play Loyola. St. Margaret's, you end up playing all these teams in the regular season uh, in lieu of the fact that there is no state championship. And so you have these unofficial, you know, state champions, you know, that's, that's the best we can hope for at this point in time, which is, which is too bad because, you know, it would be a great thing for the sport. And an amazing experience for the kids too, to be able yeah. to play their state championship, no question. But you, uh, you make up for some of that as well by traveling around the country and playing, right? You guys get out of state to play. Yeah, we played two teams from Texas, two teams from Colorado. Like I said, I think, you know, eight teams from California out of region. We, we flew back to New England to play, you know, Darianne, who had won 77 straight high school games, and Ridgefield, Connecticut, who ended up being the state champion. And, Incredible. You know, we went after anyone that would play us, and, you know, that's the mentality you got to have. And, you know, I think it's a lot of fun playing in our program, you know, traveling all over the place with people and people coming out to San Diego for spring breaks. Um, as a destination spot, knowing they can get some quality competition. 
certainly have seen that, you know, that attitude amongst the California kids that, that I've been coaching in the fall and, and summer is, you know, matter, no matter what club team we've been playing with West Coast Stars, uh, big name or not, they feel like they should win every game. I mean, they, they don't, they're not talking about, ooh, you know, look, that's so-and-so team or so-and-so team. They're talking about winning. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of confident kids out there who, who feel like they belong, no question. Yeah, I think, you know, like, like anything, there's still the chip on the shoulder and they're still kind of need to prove themselves, um, you know, when it's all said and done. But that's the beauty of it. I love going back east with West Coast Stars, as you mentioned earlier, really hanging your hat on being super athletic, being super tough and, and really just having something to prove. Um, and when the kids play like that, with that mentality, they do a great job. It's fun to be around. So talk about what's been going on with the Stars so far this summer. So, gosh, I mean, changing gears pretty quickly. The regular season ended the last week of May for Western high schools. Some are still going. Minnesota's still going. Um, and we jumped right into the club circuit. Uh, the kids had Under Armour tryouts the first weekend in June. And then the West Coast Stars went back to the Platinum Cup, which I thought was a great event. A um, couple of teams were champions. The 22s, the 20s, and the 19s were all champions. Um, a lot of great visibility, great coaches. And then this past weekend, uh, the first iteration of the North American uh, lacrosse event, uh, I think, was a huge success, and all of our guys did well. I don't think we won any championships, but I think the kids competed at a high level, and I got a lot of good feedback about them from college coaches. So, yeah, I, so I far, I've been pretty busy. Yeah, no doubt. I talked to a lot of college coaches who uh, who were pretty fired up a lot about a lot of the players that I was coaching on the on the twenty team. It's, I think it's important to realize how tough it is for these guys too, to, um, you know, the, the summer club circuit is a grind for everybody. It's, it's hard to manage. Um, but when you're on the West coast and you've got to make those kind of flights and maybe you're flying in on Friday and getting in late at night, some guys are getting in at one in the morning if their flights are delayed and, and turning around and playing morning games, which are really three hours earlier based on West coast time and then flying all the way back home five and a half hours and then coming back out the next weekend, it's tough to do. Uh, there are a million obstacles. You talk about the humidity and the weather that they're not used to and the travel is so grueling. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of sort of odds stacked against, you know, the West coast kids and you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but again, you know, it's a necessary evil. They, they have to go get seen. Every coach needs to have a live scout before they're going to really bank on any one kid. So you know, it's a means to an end and it's unavoidable. Uh, one of the other things you did this year, which was new, I believe, was the West Coast Stars training camp the same weekend as Under Armour tryouts, right? Yep. I think that was, you know, everyone is sort of in on Under Armour tryouts to become pretty popular. And, and without our ability to have really any practice time, we just figured it made a lot of sense to just have the kids come a day earlier get two days of lacrosse for their flight and then get our kids together so they can practice a little bit, get to know one another. You know, we have a lot of the same kids year in and year out, but we're always adding new kids to the roster and just trying to get them acclimated to one another. And, you know, to what our goals are was important. I thought that was a great day to be honest and a great idea. And it's, it gives an opportunity, as you said, to get most of the kids together or many of them together to practice at least. And, you know, that's another disadvantage that, that the team has that they have to overcome when they get out east and they're playing a lot of these club teams that are very regional and that are practicing all the time together. Uh, you can see it in the games when they're calling plays and, 
and, uh, and recognizing situations and having things ready for those situations. Pretty tough to do when you get kids from all over the West and, and really even the Midwest with some Cleveland kids on the team. Yeah, it's hard. The hardest, I mean, I always say the hardest thing is getting cohesion. And I think more often than not, you always see these stars teams that Saturday morning are a little shaky. By the time Saturday afternoon and Sunday roll around, they're starting to finally figure each other out and click. Um, you know, it always takes a little while and it's, you know, that's, that's the problem with no practice time is it just takes a game or two for them to get to know each other, to get on the same page as these other teams. Well, I think the message there is it's pretty incredible how well they do despite all these obstacles. And, and as you mentioned, I, I would say they, so. They are what they so. are. I always mm-hmm. echo that. I always echo that to college coaches. It's like, ah, oh, he didn't play that great today. I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's really five in the morning, their time. And they, you know, they flew in last night. Like, you, know, you hope that these guys take that into consideration when they're making notes and observing as well. I think they usually do. I mean, I, I think I think the coaches get that, and I think coaches also are doing a pretty good job getting West to see kids as well, so they can see them in their natural habitat a little bit uh, to get a yep. full read on people. That's happening more and more. Um, so, what's coming up in the rest of the summer? I know the next really exciting thing for Adrenaline is the All American Game. Tell me about that. Yeah, the All-American game is probably the most uh, enjoyable event for me. You know, as a guy that's been coaching these kids all the way through the ranks, you know, the All-American game is for the graduated seniors. Um, all of the kids have come through our system in some capacity, either playing West Coast Stars, playing on a regional team, or at least attending one of the Adrenaline events. And it's really a celebration of, you know, the kids that have made all the way through and have been successful and are going on to the next level to kind of celebrate them and, you know, this year the game is at the Star in Frisco, which is probably the premier lacrosse uh, environment. We've got, you know, inside lacrosse, lacrosse all-stars, TLN, every media outlet you can imagine is there covering it for maximum exposure. And, you know, the game, that game started out when none of our kids were being selected for the Under Armour game. Uh, we just said, you know, there's too many good kids out here that, you know, aren't being given a chance. Let's make our own game. Um, and, and now that is in its seventh year and it is, you know, it is the most sought after event for all of our kids in the system. You know, kids really want to get invited to that and it's a really big deal. And, you know, I think it's going to be live streamed and, um, it should be another awesome event. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen it yet or been to it yet. And I'm going to miss it this year cause I'm going to be in Japan, but I can't wait to see it in the future, partly because I think it's, I've seen it when it's been in California, but partly to see what the event's grown into and, uh, and partly because I'm a Cowboys fan and I haven't seen the star yet. And I hear it's, uh, it's no joke. It's spectacular. And the kids get to use the locker rooms and the film rooms beforehand and red carpet treatment. Um, I think something that's pretty special this year is we've got some adrenaline uh, All-American alumni coaching the games. We're going to have Bubba Fairman, uh, who's at Maryland now, and Justin Anderson at North Carolina coach nice. one team. Um, and then Cade Van Raphorst, who's at Duke and Tucker Dordovic, who is uh, at Syracuse now from Oregon, they're going to be coaching uh, both of the teams, which is just great to see, you know, all Americans that are now playing and playing at really the highest level. Those four guys are the four of the biggest names in the sport right now, all from, you know, one from Utah, one from Las Vegas, one from Phoenix, and one from Portland, Oregon. So not even like the hotbeds of the West, you know, the non-traditional of the non-traditional almost. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And it's uh, it's a good crew. There's no question. And Got to spend a little bit of time with Bubba last weekend. He's interning for you this summer. And uh, that's, that's pretty cool, too, that you can provide that kind of opportunity, you know, for somebody from the West to come back and, and learn. And, and maybe in the future, they're doing what you're doing. Yep. No, I think Bubba's the right role model. And, 
you know, he's such a wonderful kid and he's definitely helping keep me young too. Selfishly. I love it. It's been great so far. Yes, he does. He does do that. No question. Uh, anything else you want to add before we cut out here? Not much. I think, you know, the summer is, as I tell all the kids, it's, it's the war of attrition, you know, it's, it's a long summer and just kind of hang in there. And I think, you know, the summer will culminate, uh, I think after a bunch of individual events and prospect days that kids are doing here and there, you know, the big adrenaline Western shootout in Colorado, as you said, is sort of our one chance to have our kids get seen in the Western region on their own sort of timeline, which is in mid July. And then the West coast stars will finish up with the big first annual uh, NLF tournament, uh, July 22nd at Lehigh. So, a lot left for the summer, a lot of really exciting tournaments ahead. And I just hope that the kids can sort of hang in there until August. Yeah, I bet they will. Based on past experience, I bet they will. Well, awesome to have you on. Uh, we'll make this fairly regular. I'll have uh, one of the Adrenaline guys on every episode. So um, great catching up, Jono. And I'm sure I will see you soon. 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 So pretty good second episode. Uh, great to have Dave Metzbauer join us today. Um, a lot of real insight from him, including great place for ribs and crab cakes in Baltimore, Corner Stable, which uh, I've heard about, hadn't been to, but we'll definitely be hitting next time I'm in town. Um, future guests, some of the plans that we have uh, coming up, I'm pretty excited about this. I, I don't want to name a lot of names yet, but we're, we're obviously we're going to have a lot of lacrosse coaches on the show. Um, we are going to have some media people. Uh, we'll have um, some people from outside of lacrosse who are involved in uh, high level sports, whether those are coaches from other sports or uh, people who do a, you know, some kind of maybe strength training for sports or elite training for elite athletes. Um, some of the top high school coaches will be talking some analytics at some point. Uh, we'll be talking leadership and, and team building. We'll have some of the top athletes in the sport, maybe even some athletic directors talk about the growth of the game. Um, but our next episode, I know what that's going to be because I'm heading to Japan tomorrow uh, for the next two weeks. I've been really fortunate to have a relationship with the University of Tokyo lacrosse team for the last 20 years. And uh, I, I go help them out whenever I can. I think this is probably my 16th or 17th trip to Japan. I'm planning on going once or twice more this year as well. And I'll be over there for the next couple of weeks working with those guys. And uh, we'll have some Japanese lacrosse guys on this next episode to talk about the growth of the game in Japan. And um, you know, a lot of times when I mentioned that I'm going somewhere else in the world to coach lacrosse, I was in Thailand earlier this year doing that, Hong Kong and uh, and, you know, I've been all over different places. The sport's taken me everywhere. And um, they're surprised that there's even lacrosse in some of those countries. And the reality is, while in many of those countries it's just getting started, uh, some of them it's been around a long time. In Japan, lacrosse has been around for, I think, over 40 years. There are about 120 college teams. So uh, when I first started going 20 years ago, it was pretty rare to see anybody carrying a lacrosse stick, wearing a lacrosse shirt anywhere around Tokyo. 
now when you take a subway or a train, which is how pretty much everybody gets around there, it's pretty rare not to see somebody with lacrosse stuff at some point during your journey. It's, it's, uh, it's become certainly not one of their major sports, but it's become popular enough that you see it and everybody knows what it is. Uh, so excited to have some of my friends from Japan on the show next time, and um, we'll talk about the growth of the game there. Uh, I always like to, in every show, um, leave us with maybe something to take a look at if, you're, uh, if, if you need, if this can help you discover some new resource, whether that's uh, somebody's social media account or, or a website or just somebody to follow. Um, and so today I want to talk about Jamie Monroe. Most of you probably know Jamie Monroe or know who he is. Uh, Jamie's former coach at University of Denver before Coach Tierney um, started 3D lacrosse, left 3D lacrosse, and is now doing his own thing. And um, you can find his website on, at uh, jm3sports.com. It's jm3sports.com. He's not paying me to say this. I just I love listening to Jamie do what he does. He is so passionate about the sport of lacrosse. I don't know if I know somebody more passionate about uh, learning how to teach the game and thinking through techniques and strategies than, than Jamie is. He lives and breathes it. And if you watch one of his webcasts, he does these video casts on Facebook uh, and now on his website, you'll see what I mean about passion. He doesn't present it in a hugely you know, slick way. Uh, it is just from the heart and from the head. And, uh, and he is always creative and always thinking. And from a recruiting standpoint, he has a newsletter that goes out every weekend uh, with his thoughts on lacrosse from that week. And in that newsletter every week, which you can sign up for on his website, if you're a recruit, there's great advice, just kind of bullet points on things to think about as a lacrosse recruit. Uh, every week I've, I've pulled some things from there and so much that I agree with. So if you're if you're not following along, if you're not getting his newsletter, sign up on jm3sports.com. Uh, he has some great coaching materials there now. He has a new coaching program that I highly recommend, uh, and he'll also do some film evaluation stuff if if that's something that you want done. But uh, there, free plug for Jamie because I believe in him, uh, and, and I think a lot of people could learn some things from what he's doing. If nothing else, they're just going to get a little bit of his passion rubbing off on them. That'll be a great thing. So that's it for episode two of the Adrenaline Podcast. Um, had a lot of fun. Looking forward to episode three within the next couple of weeks from overseas in Japan. Until then, sayonara. 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 sayonara.